Well, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving this year. Um, Thanksgiving, it's kind of like it's kind of like the National League Championship, you know, and Christmas is kind of like the World Series, right? So it kind of gives us a little bit of preparation for what's to come for Christmas. Um, and if you're anything like me, and most people I know, actually, it can also be, these holidays can be a real stressful time. Old hurts sometimes are brought up. Old grievances are brought up. Um, people say things that maybe left you stinging, or maybe you said something that offended someone else, right? And so this subject this morning, uh, I think, is probably appropriate for a lot of us. I know it is for me. Uh, the, the teaching this morning is going to be on forgiveness. Um, if you're anything like me, you know, you're in need of forgiveness. I'm in need of forgiveness. Um, but... Do we ever really think about what that means? I mean, we know sort of in the generic way what forgiveness means, but we all have different ideas about that. You know, the old saying, you know, forgive but never forget, right? You know, or like uh, uh, one, one person said, um, you know, forgive your enemies, just remember their names, you know? And so what does the Bible have to say about forgiveness? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I think what we're going to find is um, there's a lot of nuances to it, and there's a lot more to it than we might imagine. So um, we're going to be bouncing around a lot in Scripture this morning. That's not something I typically like to do. I'm, I'm more of your kind of expository kind of guy. I like to go chapter by chapter, you know, verse by verse. But this is, this is more of a topical teaching, so bear with me. Please forgive me <laughs> uh, as we bounce around a little bit this morning. So to begin with, what is forgiveness? Um, most often, the English word forgiveness in the New Testament is translated from the Greek word aphiemi, aphiemi. And it translates literally as lay it aside, leave it alone, or let it be. Uh, it carries with it the idea of canceling a debt. That's its simplest definition. But the full picture of biblical forgiveness is both much, much larger than that and much more nuanced than that. Our complete understanding of forgiveness actually begins, not surprisingly, with God. In the Old Testament, we first learn about forgiveness. God made a bond in blood with Abraham um, and then with Moses. And that same covenant is referred to throughout the Old Testament. It's by this covenant God provided for Israel what Israel couldn't provide for itself, a temporary blood sacrifice for sin. Thus, Moses sprinkled the blood of sacrificial animals upon the people. Exodus 24, 8 tells us, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The writer uh, to the Hebrews in the New Testament tells us in Hebrews 9, verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
Forgiveness begins with God because all wrongdoing, all sin, is first and foremost defined by God and against God. This shedding of blood was to serve as a constant reminder of the horribleness of sin and its consequences to us. In Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17, the Lord warned Abraham, or excuse me, Adam and Eve, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Our four parents were denied nothing in the beginning except for one thing. One thing. One rule. There was only one. Do not eat of this one tree. And they couldn't even do that. Once they, we, were given a choice, we chose rebellion. And it remains that way to this very day. We humans have a sinful nature. And it began with Adam and Eve disobeying God in the Garden of Eden. And humans have been sinning against God ever since. Remember when you were in grade school and they handed out those worksheets? Remember how a lot of those worksheets were faded and the print was crooked and they had marks and little you know, blemishes on them? because they'd been copied so many times. Remember that? That's us. That's us. Since the fall in the garden, we are all just bad copies of bad copies of bad copies, passing on those sinful and rebellious traits to the next generation. We can't help it. And the Bible says the only just penalty for our sinning and rebelling against the holy God who created us for his good pleasure, and he gave us life. The only appropriate penalty for that rebellion is death. But God loves us too much to just let us destroy ourselves like that. He provided a way for us to be forgiven, and that way is through Jesus. Amen? Jesus confirmed it in no uncertain terms when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who? No one. God's plan of salvation was always to send Jesus, his only son, into the world as a sacrifice for our sins. The blood sacrifice of animals in the Old Testament law of Moses was meant to temporarily stave off God's judgment of sin and point the people forward to a time where God would once and for all satisfy his own justice himself on our behalf. He would do what we were incapable of doing for ourselves. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that we might bring that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit the price paid this once for all our sins forgiven hebrews 7:27 says he jesus 
has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. The writer of Hebrews then quotes an old, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah in chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declared the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Our God loves us so much, he forgives the absolute worst in us. Vodi Bauckham, he's one, of my, he's one of my favorite theologians, and he once said, and so bear with me, I'm kind of paraphrasing because I'm going from memory with this, but, but Vodi said, how can a perfect, righteous, and holy God who knows what I did, what I thought, and what I said yesterday not strike me dead in my sleep last night? My answer he remembers our sins no more. Forgiveness is the very foundation of God's plan of redemption for us. Forgiveness is what reconciles us and heals us. Forgiveness is our only path forward for an eternity with the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That kind of stings. God's forgiveness is built upon his own character. And if we refuse to forgive others, it reveals a lack of appreciation we have for the forgiveness that we've received from God. And then we're not accurately portraying the nature of God, not the nature of God in our redeemed lives. He told a parable, Jesus did, Matthew 18, verse 21 through 25, about an unforgiving servant. It says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Me speaking. In other words, it's not a matter of math, Peter. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, 
One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Might as well say $10,000, right? And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Powerful parable. God is the king in that parable, and we are the servant. Why must we forgive others? Well, there's three fundamental reasons. First, we have been forgiven by God. It's in God's nature, and it should be ours. We are to live as testimonials to him. Everything about us should reflect his nature in us and our relationship with him. Forgiveness and expression of love is part of the fundamental nature of who God is. It's what reconciles us to him. It's our path forward. Second, forgiveness is what reconciles us to each other. It's what restores and ensures relationship and community. And God is all about relationship and community, if you haven't noticed. And last, forgiveness gets us out of the way and on board with his plans and purposes. What do I mean by that? Let's take a look at the life of someone from the Old Testament, Joseph. You can read about him in Genesis. He's a great example. We know from Scripture that Joseph was 11, uh, he was the 11th son of Jacob. We also know that he was highly loved by his father because he was the first son through Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. In Genesis 27:30, it tells us Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in old age. So, J so Jacob made Joseph a fancy robe to wear. And Joseph's brothers were not happy about the fact that their father was spoiling Joseph so much, and they got really jealous. In Genesis 37, 4, it says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. 
So it didn't help matters that Joseph began sharing some prophetic dreams that he was having to his family. And these dreams, they showed him one day ruling over his family. You can imagine that didn't go over very well. The brothers disliked these dreams, and they plotted to kill him out in the wilderness. One of the brothers, Reuben, he objected to the murder, but he suggested they throw him into a cistern. A cistern is a big hole in the ground that collects rainwater. And Reuben was planning to come back and rescue him, but before he could return for his brother, some of the merchants had passed by suggesting to the other brothers that they sell him into slavery. So they did. So the brothers concocted an, a story, and they went and told their dad this this story about Joseph, that he was torn apart by animals, and that they had even they even brought back Joseph's robe and they showed it uh, to their dad, and it was you know they had covered it in blood. So while in slavery, Joseph was falsely accused of rape, and while he's in jail, he met a few people who actually served the Pharaoh or the king of Egypt. And they began sharing their dreams with Joseph, and he interpreted them. And the dreams ended up going exactly as Joseph said they would. So then Joseph interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. And because of his gift of interpreting dreams, Joseph was made second in command of all Egypt. Talk about falling into a mess, right? And then coming out smelling like a rose. Joseph. So God, so God then showed Joseph there would be seven good years and then seven years of famine in the land. And as a result of this, Joseph started up a government food bank. And when the famine came, just as he predicted, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt, desperate for grain. It's then that Joseph encounters his brothers again, along with their father. After all the things the, brother, the brothers had done, you might expect Joseph to hate them and want to pay them back. But that's not how Joseph responds. He saw their regret and change of heart, and he forgave them. With everything they put him through, Joseph chose to forgive them. And what happens? Watch this. Genesis 45, verses 4 and 5. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine the expression on their faces? And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve life. Did you get that? Joseph recognized God at work in his circumstances, even when he was done wrong. It doesn't get much worse than that. He was done pretty wrong. Joseph recognizes the Lord was using his circumstances and chose to get out of God's way. Forgiveness. It's a part of the fundamental nature of who God is because God is love. It's what reconciles us to him. It's our path forward. 
Forgiveness is what reconciles us to each other. It's what restores and ensures relationship and community. Forgiveness gets us out of the way and on board with God's plans and purposes. I want us to take a look at a passage in the New Testament. Let's turn to Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Jesus was gathering with his disciples for the Passover Seder, which would be their last meal together before his arrest and execution. We commemorate this event when we participate in communion. Jesus says some very important things here, and I want us to pay attention to what he says. He says, verse 26, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. You're probably beginning to notice a theme developing over the last few months, um, or last month probably, regarding communion. Seems like it's been the subject of of teaching the last few times, and, and I promise that isn't intentional, at least it isn't on my part, though I suspect the Lord might have a different, <laughs> a different idea. First, it's important for us to understand the significance of Passover to this meal Jesus is sharing with his disciples. Paul tells us in Colossians 2 regarding these things, they are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. So how is Passover a foreshadow of Christ? Scripture tells us Passover commemorates when God delivered his people Israel from slavery in Egypt. God sent nine plagues upon Egypt, one after the other, to convince the Pharaoh to let his people go. But the Pharaoh stubbornly refused. God then sent a tenth and final plague upon Egypt. God would kill the firstborn male of every living thing in Egypt, both man and animal. God told Moses to tell the people of Israel they were to take a lamb without spot or blemish, kill it, and paint the doorposts of each of their homes with its blood. And when the destroying angel would come, he would pass over the homes whose doors were covered with the blood of the lamb. There was great wailing and mourning in Egypt that night following that final plague. The Pharaoh then broken, relented, and let the children of Israel leave. Every year, Jews are commanded in the law of Moses to commemorate this event called Passover. It's the meal Jesus was sharing with his disciples. Looking past the crucifixion, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
Jesus, our Passover lamb, shed his blood that we could be forgiven. When the Father looks upon our sinful rebellion, he sees only the blood of his Son. His judgment and the death that would follow passes over us. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For what? The forgiveness of sins. So important is this concept of forgiveness that we're called to remember it and we commemorate it every time we take communion. God made forgiveness available to anyone who calls upon his name. Let's take a look at what the apostles have to say about forgiveness in Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. The apostle Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In chapter 4, Paul is addressing two things, Christian unity and then this new walk we have with Jesus. He sums it up with a warning about and against the negative attributes, the, the kind found in the world, bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, and malice. And not only are these things worldly, but in verse 27, Paul tells us they give the devil an opportunity. When we do that, it gives the devil an opportunity. Instead, Paul gives us what he calls, an, what, it, what the Bible calls an imperative. An imperative is, think of it as like an order from headquarters. This is, this is what we are to do. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, what is tenderheartedness? Tenderheartedness is the opposite of cold-heartedness. A tender-hearted person is sensitive to the needs of others, compassionate and merciful, loves justice, hates injustice, but he shows love towards the sinner. Forgiving one another, forgiveness, it's like a healing medicine vital to unity and harmony among people. More often than not, it's more for the, the one who was offended or hurt because the offender may not care if he's forgiven or not. Forgiveness stops anger from setting in our minds. It, these things lead later to resentment and bitterness. Paul says we need to practice forgiveness to learn from God's example as God in Christ forgave you. Our forgiveness to others is patterned after the forgiveness of Jesus towards us. When we think of the amazing way God forgives us, it is shameful, shameful for us to withhold forgiveness from those who wronged us. After all, God himself withheld his anger a long time to give us all an opportunity to be forgiven. He's put up with the world even though humanity mocks him, disregards him, rebels against him, and provokes him. In fact, God actually reaches out to bad people to call to himself. 
he attempts reconciliation with the world. God always makes the first move in forgiveness, trying to reconcile even though the guilty party is uninterested in forgiveness. God forgives our sin knowing that we will sin again and often in exactly the same way. God's forgiveness is so amazing that he grants adoption to those who are former offenders. God in his forgiveness took on the full penalty for the wrong we did against him. Think about that for a minute. He took on the full penalty for the wrongs we did against him. God keeps reaching out to humanity for reconciliation, even when it rejects him over and over and over again. He doesn't require us to get rid of uh, all of our, you know, our weaknesses first. He doesn't, he doesn't require us to get right before we seek him. He says, come to him. God's forgiveness is total and complete. He loves, adopts, honors, forms relationships, intimate relationships with those who once horribly wronged him. God puts his trust in us and invites us to work with him as co-laborers when he forgives us. Think of it like a kind of like a mother or father of small children. You remember when maybe when your kids were small or maybe from your own experience as a child that you might find yourself working alongside your mother or alongside your father while they're doing their work and you're pretending to work along with them. You're 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 participating with them and they openly invite you to participate with them, to learn from them and to take part in it. And in reality, you're probably they probably will do better without you. But they want you to be part of what they're doing because they love you or you love your children that way. And they learn from you by imitating you and being part of that experience with you. It's like that with God. He wants us to participate with him. He doesn't need us, but he wants us to participate with him. Forgiveness is part of the fundamental nature of who God is because God is love. It's what reconciles us to him. It's our path forward. Forgiveness is what reconciles us to each other. It's what restores and ensures relationship and community. You notice I'm repeating a theme here. Forgiveness gets us out of the way and on board with God's plan and purposes. Why do we need forgiveness? It's fundamentally part of God's nature. And when I say for, we need forgiveness, not only to be for, forgiven, but to forgive others. Why do we need that? Because it's part of God's nature. It's how he created us to be. It's what he insists on from his children. Even medical science recognizes the health benefit of forgiveness. As I was preparing this, I actually came across an article um, at the website of the Mayo Clinic. It's a medical website. And it was entitled, Forgiveness, Letting Go of Grudges and Bitterness. And in the article it said, what are the benefits of forgiving someone? Letting go of grudges and bitterness can make way for improved health and peace of mind. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental health, 
less anxiety and stress and hostility, fewer symptoms of depression, lower blood pressure, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, and improved self-esteem. That's what medicine says about forgiveness. But really, the greatest benefit of forgiveness is freedom. Freedom. The freedom to love others. That's so important. How can we love a God who is invisible if we can't love each other who we can see? Paul tells us in Colossians 3, verses 13 and 14, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In addition to setting aside our differences and being called to forgive, we are reminded that we are forgiven by God and can see it's directly linked to our ability to love others. Forgiveness is the very foundation of God's plan of redemption for humanity. Forgiveness is our only path forward for an eternity with the Lord. Forgiveness is part of the fundamental nature of who God is because God is love. Forgiveness is what reconciles us to each other. Forgiveness gets us out of the way and on board with God's plans and purposes. Amen? I'd like to close with a quote from a renowned uh, Christian author and theologian. His name is Louis B. Smeads, and he says this, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for forgiving us our sins. Lord, we, without your forgiveness, we would be lost. And Lord, we just honor you and praise you and give you all the glory for this, this relationship that we don't deserve. But nonetheless, you created us for. And so, Father, we are so grateful. Help us to be forgiving of each other and mindful that we're reflecting you in it. Help us to love others, Lord. Help us to restore relationships, forgive those who've hurt us, and we ask for forgiveness for the, from those we've hurt. And we're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.